Hello, pod pals. Welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. I hope your week has been good. Mine's been a bit sluggish. Um, You know, we might be out of lockdown, but my God, I feel like I've not done anything in years. However, this week's interview was very invigorating, and it definitely made me want to dive into some very cold water. Listen on to find out why. Thought I'd try a bit of a teaser there. Not sure whether it worked. So, on to my guest. This week, I spoke to the lovely Gemma Cole, an agency director who comes from a background in film marketing. She's worked for Ritzy Picture House, Picture House Entertainment, and until quite recently, 1155, a company whose mission is to support the film community by connecting brands with films through consultancy, partnerships, and experience building. Gemma has recently ventured out to co-create her own agency, Call Dive. We talk about that process and what motivated it, We chat about a whole host of other things. I think I mentioned at one point that it felt a bit like creative therapy because we we talked about valuing yourself and your work, learning curves, perfectionism and monetizing creativity. I had a really great time speaking to Gemma. She's based out in Margate, which I have to say I'm quite jealous of. Um, I'm definitely lusting after some fresh sea air as I am sat here in my bedroom recording this intro. But for now, hopefully this conversation is all the invigoration you need. This is episode 72 of Best Girl Grip. Where I always like to start um, with this podcast is getting a sense of, you know, yeah, your, your kind of lead into the film industry and whether you went to university and if you did, what you studied there. I went to Chelsea College of Art uh, and I studied fine art. I did a foundation year there and then I went on to do the BA there as well. And were you looking to get into the film industry after you graduated? Was it more art in general that you were kind of interested in at that stage? You know, how did you come to learn about the film industry? Yeah, so my ambition was always to be a painter. Um, That was my dream for me since I was a teenager um I'd always loved film and it had always heavily influenced my painting practice like then and now but I started working in the film industry while I was at art school and that's sort of when I fell into it really and I sort of just fell in love with it and the two kind of my art practice and my work in film kind of continued in parallel um from there really At the start of my BA at Chelsea, um, I moved to Brixton and I looked out the window of my flat and the Ritzy cinema was right there. And I was like, oh, that looks like a cool place. So I just walked straight out of my flat (laughs) and I just walked straight in and um, I went to see uh, the next film that was on, which was The Duchess with Keira Knightley. After, it, after the film had finished, I just wandered around and it just had this vibe. Um, and I'm not sure any other cinema mm. I've been in quite has it. Uh, it's just got this kind of epic history and warmth. And I just thought, I need to get a job here. This place is great. So I handed in my CV the next day uh, and I got a call and I went in for an interview and I ended up getting the job just like the next day. So either they were desperate for staff or it was just like meant to be. I'd been in London a year at that point. Uh, and my, so my friendship circle was really limited to like other art students my own age. And working at the Ritzy just really opened my eyes to this like wide array of incredible people who worked there and what they did 
all walks of life, you know, lots of creative people, like filmmakers, artists, actors, the projectionists. And I just learned so much in my early years there about obviously like, you know, working in the film world, but also just like for myself, you know, as like a kind of small town country gal moving to the big city and <laughs> and just like, you know, lots of life lessons. Yeah, I think cinemas are one of those places, aren't there, where you kind of, you see the front of house stuff, but you don't really know who else works there or what else goes on behind the scenes. And so what was your job there? You know, what were you doing? Um, and how did that kind of lead more into marketing? Yeah, so I was front of house when I first started. So I was just like ushering and selling tickets, selling popcorn, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then after a bit, I think I became a supervisor and then eventually I was a duty manager. And when I graduated from Chelsea, I then a kind of like marketing and events kind of role came up. And that's kind of what I was doing a lot of anyway. Um, so I kind of just slotted into that and started doing that stuff full time. At the time, the Ritzy was kind of, there wasn't a lot of kind of big cinemas on the like outside central London like outside the west end so like a lot of kind of films that wouldn't necessarily have like a west end Leicester Square premiere would have their premieres and kind of special events at the Ritzy so it kind of became the go-to for that and so we just had loads of events and festivals and it was just amazing like yeah there was so much stuff going on it was like kind of quite exciting place to be. And what about marketing like piqued your interest and what about it did you start to enjoy that you thought I want to make a career out of this as I started doing that job I just was learning more and more about how the industry worked and kind of what exhibition was what distribution was like what all the kind of cogs in the machine were I think it just sort of like from a creative point of view the marketing side of things just it kind of fit naturally with me and I just found it really fun you know it was just like right how can especially doing marketing for a kind of a neighborhood cinema you know it was like how can I tell the people in this community about all these incredible films that they'll potentially love you know um so that was just like really fun for me yeah being excited about the programming and just actually like genuinely wanting to communicate that figuring out interesting ways to do that after working um, at Ritzy, you kind of moved on to distribution in working for Picture House Entertainment. Um, there might have been, you know, some roles in between, but I'm wondering, you know, if you saw that as like a graduation and also if you could perhaps talk a bit more about the different, like the nuances in marketing for an exhibitor versus marketing for a distributor, albeit within like the same kind of brand. Yeah, after the Ritzy, I went and did a similar role at Hackney Picture House, which at that point was still quite new. Um, so that was kind of a whole different challenge. And then that's when, um, after that, I started working at Picture House Entertainment. And yeah, it was quite a transition. By that point, I'd been working in cinemas, doing marketing events for quite a few years. And when I joined Picture House Entertainment, it was still in its early years then. So it was kind of super exciting to join that team. Um, and yeah, it, it did feel like a bit of a graduation, actually. That was kind of, I, I'd done a programming internship at Pitch House head office while I'd worked at the Ritzy. 
and that had been my kind of first taste oh, of cool. um working in a kind of busy central london office and i was just loved it you know it was just so exciting to me and i think that was again a huge learning curve i wanted to know a bit more about programming so they offered this internship so i did it and just sort of like walking around the office overhearing conversations and listening into meetings it was just sort of like a total baptism of fire and I just wanted to kind of get back there. Um, so when I was offered the job at Pitch House Entertainment, it was just, yeah, it was really amazing. Um, but I didn't know really, I thought I knew what distribution was, but I mean, I just didn't know anything. Um, and thankfully, by that point, I knew a fair few people at head office. So I just wandered around picking people's brains and, you know, writing down loads of notes from meetings and then going to people afterwards, like, what does this mean? What does this acronym mean? Mm. Um which was just sort of like, yeah, that that's how I learn. And I think, yeah, it's just that thing of learning on the job is just the best, the best way, you know. And then thinking about your progression, how did you um, get the job at 11.55? You know, how did you hear about that? And what made you want to join that company? Yeah, so at the time, 11.55 was based out of the Pitch House head office. So I got to know the team really well there. And we collaborated on lots of events. So at the time, 11.55 and Pitch House worked quite closely together on kind of brand partners and sponsorship campaigns. So we did a lot of kind of, yeah, sponsored events, which I kind of worked on. Uh, so yeah, got to know the team really well. Um, and I just always loved what they did. And a job came up and I just went for it. And it was a bit, it was a really big move for me because at, at that point I'd been mm. with Pitch House for nearly eight years and they were really like my family. I was so warm and cosy in that role. And, you know, it was great. Love the team, you know, but I just knew that I did, I needed a change and I needed to kind mm. of get out of my comfort zone. Going to work at a, a small agency after working for kind of a fairly big company was, um, was like, yeah, a, a learning curve again, but just a really, really good step. And I, and also my job my role kind of did change quite a bit. Um, so I've, I went from kind of being a straight up marketeer to um, a producer, which is, has, you know, obviously as a producer, you, you know, you're always using elements of marketing expertise, but mm-hmm. you're very much kind of a project manager, you know, and kind of overseeing campaigns and kind of building teams to work on those campaigns, you know, whereas I would have been kind of one of those people on the team, kind of, yeah, like executing the marketing campaign. So yeah, it was like a slightly kind of shift in my role, but something that I just really enjoyed, like I'd already always really liked the project management side. Um, I was always very like, detail orientated. And I did love working on events as well. And that's something I did do at Pitch House a lot which is something that Pitch House just sort of let me get on with, which was really nice yeah. of them. <laughs> but as I moved to 11.55, like a lot of what 11.55 does is, you know, all around experiences and events. So that kind of became quite a big part of my role, which was really exciting. And that's one of the good things about a startup, I find, is that there is that flexibility maybe, like you're you're sometimes like doing parts of the job before it becomes your official title. And there's just that kind of malleability where you can kind of take on different responsibilities. It's, I don't know, it feels less rigid in that way. Did it feel like, you know, creatively exciting for you in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, I think the the thing that I enjoyed most working at 11.55 was just that 
that freedom kind of in all senses of the mm. word you know obviously we, we were a small team and we had our, our kind of roles and kind of what we um, were focusing on but you know it, we were all kind of this big Venn diagram you know we kind of crossed over into different people's roles so yeah there was lots of flexibility there and yeah the freedom to just you know run my projects in the way that I thought best and really push myself creatively to make the best work but I think also in a very like practical sense uh obviously mm-hmm. working from home now is just like the new normal but five years ago it really <laughs> it really wasn't I remember in my first week at eleven fifty-five, I was actively encouraged not to come into the office and oh, to wow. <laughs> work yeah, and to work from cafes or you know venues or clients offices or home or just like wherever best to get the job done and wherever you feel most uh kind of creatively stimulated I guess Mm. and that was like wow like amazing you know and my productivity and creativity just like flourished in that working environment it was exactly what I needed Mm. I think just and also in a way just to be like let off the lead a little bit which was just yeah which was great Yeah, I have to say like that's something I've enjoyed about working from home is like just, yeah, you're being given ownership, aren't you, over your own schedule and your own ability to kind of do things at your own pace. And like it took a while to get used to. I was sort of like expecting people to like check up on me at the end of every day being like, so. (laughs) And you realise, yeah, you're just on your own. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much to be said for, you know, employers putting their trust in their employees kind of implicitly and you kind of have to you know when people are not right there at at their desks and then thinking about events and as you were saying the kind of experiential nature of the company and what you were doing there like it seems like something that has really proliferated over the last decade or so you know pretty much every film that's released has these kind of like string of Q&As alongside them and obviously lots of lots of other events happening um and I'm wondering if you could speak to maybe how your how your job changed you know during your time there and how you saw events and marketing yeah kind of impacted or, or changed throughout that that period in terms of the film industry I think the kind of cookie cutter Leicester Square West End premiere to kind of launch a film you know there's a there's a time and a place for that and you know for the right film it's 100% the right thing to do but I think some films don't quite suit that strategy and I think something that 1155 did really well was kind of trying to come up with um, a creative solution a kind of bespoke creative solution to kind of launch that film it was almost taking the premiere out of the West End and, you know, mm-hmm. potentially putting it in a warehouse in East London or, we I mean, we've done all sorts of events, but, you know, like, for example, uh, we did The Conjuring 2, which was the first kind of experiential, immersive, kind of theatrical experience to launch a film. Right. And we did that in the vaults, which is under, under Waterloo Station. It, it was so brilliant. We kind of created this guests were kind of tricked into coming to an exhibition because the film was based on a true story they were kind of told that they were coming to a exhibition of artifacts from the real kind of haunted house that's in the conjuring too but actually they went into a a kind of walk through immersive experience where like scary stuff happened um (laughs) (laughs) it was just it was just great and then they after they kind of gone through their kind of experience we'd like film the whole thing with secret cameras so then they kind of got like a a clip of them moving through this um, horrible (laughs) experience 
And then they watched the film after that. And it was just like such a perfect way to get that film out there. Mm. And I think that approach is that that in a way that's what distributors and studios would come to us for would be you know a, a different approach but for something kind of bespoke uh, and I think that's probably that kind of side of the industry's grown more over the last few mm. you know 10 yeah 10 five years yeah I guess it's that that difficulty isn't it like the more conversation there is the harder it is to create a moment that is like worthy of being talked about so it's just thinking about yeah how you can kind of spark those those conversations yeah yeah exactly and just trying to do like something new you know I think that's and that's always a great challenge to have and I mean that's a, that's a perfect segue because uh talking about um new new things and new endeavors I understand you're in the process of setting up your own agency called Dive and I'm wondering if if you could tell me a bit more about you know that process what your vision is and what your motivation was for for kind of branching out in this way yeah so alongside two former um colleagues and friends uh we're setting up a new agency called dive we are launching in january so kind of all will be revealed then but in a nutshell we create and build culturally relevant brand partnerships campaigns and experiences and those projects will enable our clients and partners to have an impact on people in a meaningful and human way. Our expertise and heritage is obviously very much in connecting brands and audiences to the film world but with Dive we want to push these partnerships kind of further into the wider entertainment sphere so i.e. working in TV, music, art with cultural institutions and I think also something one of our motivations for doing this especially you know this year which you know seems like a bit of a mad time to um set up a company I think we all believe that brands can have a really positive impact on film and you know on the arts in general you know because you know they need all the support they can get right now as we know so Mm. that's something that we'll be kind of tackling head-on um next year when we launch and so off the back of that, I'm wondering, you know, in this context of marketing and events, what the word meaningful means to you? Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, so we've been using um, a phrase that we just made up and it's spare time is the best time. It's when we're most ourselves and we want to create work and kind of moments, campaigns, whatever it is to reach people in their spare time. That's when people are most relaxed and most kind of open to kind of discovering new things um, and trying new things. So that for us is pretty meaningful. You know, I think having a kind Mm. of lens by which we, you know, create campaigns um, and events, I think that feels really meaningful for us. And I think just doing things in a very human way and kind of really understanding the audience that we're reaching, as opposed to kind of just putting stuff out there without really thinking that bit through. So I think it's just taking that kind of yeah. that that audience insight to the next level. And, and and that's another reason why we're called dive, you know, it's kind of we wanna we want people to dive in and it kind of evokes that feeling of being on holiday and you're by a poolside, you're really mm-hmm. relaxed. It's kind of the very essence of like spare time, you know. And then thinking about, I mean, it's obviously such a big thing to create 
a whole new brand and establish yourself as a company. Um, so I'm wondering if you could give a little bit of insight into what that process has been like. Well, my partners in crime, Ellie Davison and Rich Williams, the three of us are kind of setting up Dive together. They both laid the groundwork for Dive and I joined very recently. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride with all the kind of usual ups and downs, but ultimately just a really fun process. You know, building something from the ground up is so satisfying and you know I would say to any like budding entrepreneurs or anyone kind of looking to go out on their own like it's just all about the team and I think you need such a solid Mm. foundation to build on and I'm very thankful for Ellie and Rich for being such good teammates also Pearl and Dean the uh, cinema advertising company they are backing us in this new new venture yeah, which, you know, means we've got a lot of resource behind us, which is brilliant. So yeah, just big shout out to Catherine, Gavin and Mike, Pearl and Dean. Uh, we'll be working really closely <laughs> with those guys on some exciting projects next year. Watch this space. Um, and pivoting slightly, I know that you're also an incredibly talented artist. Um, you do illustrations and graphics um, and they're amazing. Um, I was looking through your website and just was incredibly in awe. And I'm wondering, you know, where that fits in around your kind of nine to five schedule, if that's the schedule that you, you keep to. Um, how do you find the time to devote to your other creative pursuits? Well, firstly, thank you very much. (laughs) That's very kind. And it's a very good question. Until a couple of years ago, I had a studio. um, I've had various studios over the years. But yeah, a couple of years ago, I had one in the Bussy building in Peckham. And I worked full time Mm. and worked in the studio during kind of like any spare minutes I had. But I loved it. And I think I felt after so many years of trying to kind of juggle both uh, painting um, and design practice and kind of working in film, I'd finally found some sort of balance. But obviously all good things have to come to an end. And then I got pregnant, which um, was a good thing. (laughs) But it just meant that (laughs) doing both was just way too tiring. And I remember kind of my studio was right on the top floor of the busy building. So it was just like 10 flights of stairs, like with a huge bump, like kind of walking up there. And I was like, how much longer <laughs> am I going to be able to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so I let that studio go and I just sort of concentrated on the whole, like, ah, I'm going to be a mum. And uh, I live in Margate now and uh, oh, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm itching to set up a new studio down here. Uh, and I'm hoping that'll happen next year, fingers crossed. But at the moment I've kind of had to like, transition my practice from a very like messy fumey painting studio to working (laughs) on an iPad which has been interesting because it's like a kind of whole new medium um and I've had to kind of find new ways of being able to like make stuff because I kind of have this need to just keep that kind of flowing so that's been cool but like I'm desperate to have you know a room of one's own where I can make a mess (laughs) And also, do you do commissions? Because I'm always interested in, you know, the point at which kind of creative experimentation and expression becomes something that you then kind of start to monetize or you start to think about, you know, the audience for that. And I'm wondering, you know, how that kind of transition or that process worked for you. I have always taken commissions, but for me, like, you know, time has just always been the issue. I think because my work Mm. in film has kind of become my primary uh, focus I never really kind of promoted the fact I did commissions or I was never really like looking to monetize my 
artwork really I think yeah just because of kind of like purely based on time really um but I did do commissions when people came to me um Mm. and depending on what they wanted you know I I would do it but it is it's a really it's a hard one to get your head around and sadly not something they teach you art school (laughs) um and I just yeah I've always found pricing my work really difficult um and I've always just massively undercharged I think because, yeah, of that thing of my painting practice becoming quite like secondary to my work in film over the years, I just didn't feel like so almost like legitimate enough of a, yeah. as an artist to be able to charge properly for my work. And, you know, I've done things in the past and I'm just like, God, this took me weeks to do. And, you mm. know, I've probably earned like one P an hour um from from doing this but you know I think you just you you live and learn don't you and I think actually like my career progression and as I've kind of you know got more responsibility over the years and kind of running big budgets and stuff like I think I understand yeah the the value of things a little bit more like and I'm a little bit more savvy about that so Mm. but I'm you know I'm terrible at using my own knowledge and expertise like for myself (laughs) And then obviously thinking about um, you, you're a mother now and embarking on that new journey, but then also just, you know, time and how easy it is to sort of feel burnt out. I'm wondering how you protect your creativity and, you know, if you're not feeling particularly inspired or motivated, if you do anything particular to reset. Yes. I mean, yeah, as, as you said, like my life mainly revolves around being a mum now. Um, so any free time I have is so mm. wonderful and inspiring in itself. That's kind of all I need. <laughs> it's just a few few minutes alone to, <laughs> to reset. But I think like, <laughs> I think historically, I've always like, you know, throughout my 20s and stuff, like I've always loved swimming. That was always a really good reset for me. And I recently, since moving to Margate, I recently plucked up the courage to start winter swimming in the sea, um, which has been an amazing way to get the creative juices flowing, like, and especially obviously during (laughs) this hellish year, mentally and yeah, creatively, physically, like it's just, it's amazing. And again, I've sort of found like a little, a little community you know, there of kind of hardcore winter swimmers and they're all brilliant. Would highly recommend to anyone who's feeling a little bit stuck, just go and jump in some cold water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's like one of those things that just makes you forget about everything else that's going in your life at the time. As someone that has, you know, many strings to their bow and thinking about, you know, as a millennial generation, we're, we're much more inclined to sort of have these portfolio careers and to be doing lots of different things at once and spread ourselves out across multiple disciplines. Is that something that you consider to be an advantage? You know, I think I sometimes doubt that I'm kind of a jack of all trades, a master of none, and that I've maybe spread myself too thinly and I'm not an expert in anything. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I think about this a lot too. Personally, I do see it as an advantage. I think working this way allows you to follow new endeavours and discover new skills that you might have never known you had. Mm. And I think it just makes for a way more interesting life when you have the chance to meet new people and discover new places. And all of that has got to be so enriching, not purely 
on a career level, but just on a life level, you know, with the internet and social media, like you can just so openly see all these other kind of opportunities and things that people do and kind of just you constantly being like inspired and stimulated, you know, to like try things and the kind of the jack of all trades, master of none thing, I think Mm. is in a way it just depends what you're happy with um and if you have a a working life and a personal life you know where you're happy and things are balanced and you know you're fulfilled I think that's that's the most important thing and I think again it's that kind of value that you hold for yourself kind of saying like Mm. you're you you know you don't feel like you're an expert in something because actually you do a few very few different things it's like actually you probably are an expert in what you do and especially if you've been doing it for a number of years or quite a long time like you do you get good at things and I think um having the confidence to just like own that is really good and I think I'm just interested to see like how our like generation will look when we're kind of coming on to retirement age how many careers will have will we have had how many things will we have tried out yeah it's a nice thing actually yeah to think about the future I guess yeah the accumulation of all the experiences as opposed to like the moment now you kind of you feel like you're yeah you're not good enough at anything I suppose it comes back to like that point about value as well isn't it I feel like we sort of segued into a bit of a creative therapy session And I guess on that point, I'm wondering if you you have anything that you consider to be like the biggest learning curve of your career or something that you, you wish that you'd learn earlier? Yes. And this has been quite like a recent discovery for me. I mean, it, it sounds really cliche, <laughs> but I'm like a perfectionist and a kind of like a diagnosed one now. And my perfectionism just drives me to overwork you know I'm constantly overthinking I constantly believe I'm failing all the time and I think certain parts of my job do Mm. like exacerbate it um you know especially like the intricacies of project management and producing like large-scale events you know it's just like things are always going wrong you know there's crazy deadlines you know all all of that stuff I think having such high standards is very is not a good way to be when when you're trying to do a job and I've been having CBT um this year and I've just been trying to learn more about what perfectionism is and kind of how it Mm. works and how you can kind of manage it and I found it so incredibly useful and I think it's just really helped me to like join the dots of kind of looking at my everything I've done you know work-wise in the last 10 years and where I've been struggling and it's just it is all down to that it's kind of yeah setting myself just unattainable Mm. standards and not being very kind to myself so obviously I wish I'd known that earlier (laughs) but I think I had to kind of obviously you know go through this journey to kind of get to this point I'm kind of and especially with kind of I'm at a bit of a crossroads not a crossroads but obviously you know just like kind of transitioning what I'm doing professionally you know I'm just like using this as an opportunity Mm. to kind of go into this new thing with just like my eyes open and kind of really understanding like where I can kind of start to slip and that's when I get stressed and that's when I start to overwork yeah just finding that balance for yourself thank you for sharing that and also like for me perfection is like one of those words that like we've weirdly come to associate with something that's like positive or something to strive for when I think actually yeah as you as you're kind of saying it's much more harmful than maybe we we give it credit for 
And then finally, uh, I can't believe, you know, this hour's gone so quickly, but um, I'm wondering if there is a film from a woman director that you think is a bit of a hidden gem that you want to, you know, shout out to. I have gone with The Kids Are All Right, which is directed by Lisa Cholodenko. I hope I said that right. I feel I just feel like it's really underrated. Um, mm. And I watched it again recently and I was kind of chatting to a few people about it and just like no one had heard of it. And it's so brilliant. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it makes me want to revisit it now and uh, see, see if it holds up. Um, well, thank you for picking that. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you, Gemma. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're interested in learning more about this particular field, I recommend listening to my interview with Karina Antrobus, who also worked in marketing at Picture House, and my recent interview with Joanne Michael, who is Director of Marketing at the sales agent Cornerstone Films. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Mm-hmm.